Amen. Howdy. Howdy. Yeah. Woo. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for leading us in worship. Oh my gosh, they do a phenomenal job. Give the Lord a hand real quick. Glad to be back. Uh, I was over at Anderson campus last week. We did a little bit of switch rotating around. Uh, next week, um, actually, Jacob Smith is we're kind of doing a road rotation um, across our three campuses. And so look forward to welcoming him and his wife. And so uh, they're actually going to be leading um, our table next week. So just a little, little heads up on that end. Um, if you are new here, welcome to Grace Bible Church. Welcome to Grace College. Uh, we are in a series in Proverbs where we're looking at the best, looking at the best types of life. And this week in particular, I'm really excited about this content because we're talking about leadership. And one of the things I love to talk about, to teach on, and to help people uh, think about is how to lead well. And just so as a little side note, um, if you want to do our devotional series, we have a devotional series on version. so I encourage you to download that if you just search the best uh, on, you, on the version app, you can find our devotion and walk along with us. It's not too late to jump into that. But today, in particular, we're going to talk about leadership. What are the best leaders? What does it look like to be the best type of leader? And I, let me tell you what, there is a, a lot that we can glean from Proverbs. And uh, after last week, my wife said, you know what, you ought to cut some of that down to make it a little more palatable for people because there's too much. And I'm like, fine. You lost some verses this week, people. And it hurts my heart. But if you do your own search in Proverbs and just type in king and look at all the verses that give the king advice, the picture of authority, the picture of leader in the book of Proverbs is the king. And I'll tell you what, there is so much to learn from Proverbs about leadership, in particular when you are in authority or under authority. But I'm going to start with this. I want to start with this. There was several years ago uh, that a film series came out, a little movie mini-series on HBO called Band of Brothers. I am, oh, it warms my heart that some of you have actually seen this, because uh, it came out a long time ago, and, and, and it is a, it's basically a, a lesson in leadership, because you're watching these people, the setting of, of the movie is this, that there's uh, people, uh, first company, easy company, that are going to storm Normandy, and it follows the life of these men um, as they are both under authority as soldiers from America and going to, to rescue people that are, that are hurt in Europe and to bring peace in that nation. And you know the Battle of Normandy was one of the most bloody, one of the most severe uh, pushes um, during World War II, and, and it traces easy company. They were a parachuting division as they came in and helped storm uh, the beach of Normandy. And, and what's crazy about this is that you see different interactions of leaders in this moment. And some good leaders and some poor leaders. Over this uh, division, there was a, a colonel named Colonel Winters, and, and uh, Major, sorry, Major Winters. And he was uh, one of the leaders that was a, a great influence on this organization. But there was a smaller group of them, Easy Company, led by um, a leader named Lieutenant Dyke. And Lieutenant Dyke was uh, the epitome of a bad leader. He was a person that, uh, it was said of him, it wasn't that he made uh, no decisions, or it doesn't, wasn't that he made bad decisions, it, 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 he made no decisions. 
And when he made a decision, he led his people into a bad circumstance. And so the movie traces one, uh, one particular storyline where Lieutenant Dyke is leading these soldiers and they're supposed to go storm this one area and what happens is they go in and they're exposed and there's a sniper in a building across and he's literally taking out man after man and, and he's on the, the, the walkie-talkie um, talking to Colonel Win- to Winters and Winters says, get out of there, what are you going to do? And he's like just petrified and fearful and he realizes that he does not have the command of the men He doesn't have the respect of the men, and he no longer has the ability to lead. And in that moment, Winter sends in Lieutenant Spears. And as I've actually read backstory on this, it's based on a true story. Uh, Winters basically just saw Spears beside him and said, hey, you go. And he just sends Spears over to them. He runs over to where these men are pinned down under enemy fire. He goes in. He says, what's what's going on? How can we help? And they're like, that guy is is there. He's attacking us. He goes, here's what you're going to do. You're going to... Aim your fire at that building and get that guy to stop shooting, knock him out. And so they turn, aim their fire then, and then they're able to escape. And they come a little bit further into the next part of town. And, and there's another moment when there's another part of the army across the way. And there's some guys that are trapped, that are unable to be saved. And in one of the most heroic moments of this series, suddenly Spears runs out across by himself to these men that are pinned down. And he runs over there, and what was so fascinating is that none of the Germans shot at him. And one of the people uh, kind of voicing over this says, it wasn't that they were confused about what was happening, they were just so surprised that someone had so much guts to just run into the enemy army and, and save these people. And what was most surprising wasn't that he just ran across, is that once he was there, he grabbed these men and ran them back. And when you see a leader that's willing to put their own life on the line, to put their own life at risk for the sake of others. Let me tell you what, there's something absolutely beautiful about that type of leadership. A leader that would willingly give of himself to save the lives of others. There's something beautiful. And I'll tell you what, we long for leaders like that. And Texas A&M is a leadership mecca. It is. It's so funny. I remember the first time interacting with anyone. The first question is this. Um, did you go to A&M? And then the next question is this. What organization were you involved in? Because it's like an identity thing. of like, What organization are you in? And, and, and were you steering that ship? Like, Did you rise your way? Like, Were you leading that puppy? So like, I don't care what organization it is. I mean, there may be like craft monkeys. You're like, we're a craft monkey organization. And like, were you president? I was treasurer. That's awesome. Like, there's some, it doesn't matter the organization. It doesn't matter what you're doing. But like, there's something about the leadership that is, is really created at Texas A&M. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. And I was doing some research on this university, and I just went to your website to say, hey, what, what's going on in this university? What's happening here? And this is what's surprising to me. One is this, that there is nearly 70,000 students at Texas A&M. That's undergrad and graduate. There's 54,000, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, 54,000 of them are undergraduates. That is a lot of people. And to, to house all of these people and all of these people that want to, to lead and be led, there are over 1,100 student organizations. That means there's over 1,100 presidents roaming your halls, right, and your <laughs> campus. There's, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of treasurers, a lot of VPs. There's a lot of people leading here. It is a leadership culture, and, and there's something fascinating about the rise of so many leaders 
around Texas A&M University, but, but culturally, there's not always a good view on leadership. In fact, Barna did a study of, of Gen Z. And they asked general Gen Z population, what do you feel? How do you think about leaders today? And it said this from their study. Four out of five affirm and nearly half strongly affirm that society is facing a crisis in leadership because there's not enough good leaders right now. 82% of Generation Z is saying there are not enough quality leaders leading us. And what that tells me is that the great leaders are in high demand, but we seem to be in short supply. There's a demand for good leaders, but we don't have all of the quality of leaders that we need. And we've seen that. We've seen men and women in positions of power make decisions that undermine their authority, undermine their leadership, and really, in some cases, undermine the organization that they're leading because they are not demonstrating the quality of leadership that we most need from them. And so there's a desire to lead, but there's also a a reality that we've seen lots of people not lead well. And it's interesting doing a sermon on leadership because immediately, as I say, um, okay, we're going to talk about leadership. There's several of you here that are saying, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a leader. Now, let me challenge you on that assumption. I would challenge you first by saying this, that we are going to talk about not only leading, but we're also going to talk about following Because in order to be a good leader, you also have to be a good follower as well. So both sides of leadership are important. But I would also tell you this, um, that God all gives us levels of authority and leadership. And so we are all called to make disciples, make disciples of all nations. And so in disciple making, there is a level of leadership that you can exercise there. Some of you are going to have kids or or get married and have a a spouse and have children. And there's a level of leadership that you're going to exercise to your children. Some of you, your uh, siblings are going to have kids and you're going to be an aunt or an uncle. And so you're going to have a level of leadership and influence in that direction. Some of you in your companies, in your organizations, you're going to rise up in that organization and you will have a level of leadership there. So in all of us, there are spheres of authority that we would have. And thirdly, I'll tell you this, if you, the people that say, I'm not a leader, you've all complained about leaders, right? So even if you've never held a leadership position, you've had professors that you've disliked, you've had teachers you've disliked, you've had bosses that you've disliked, and you've complained about them. And my question for you is this, are you, are you critiquing those leaders based on things that are biblically based or personal preference? Are you actually critiquing them on things that are, that are realistic, that are biblical, that are God-honoring when it comes to the quality of leaders that we need in the world? So the first group is saying, I'm not a leader. I would say, yeah, you, just hold on. There's stuff here for you too. The second group of people says, I'm al- say, I'm already a great leader. And to you, I would encourage you to read Proverbs with us and to ask the question, am I leading in God's direction with God's priorities? Am I actually a leader worth following? So what I want to give us this morning, I'm going to give three movements to this talk. And the first part of this is the perspective of great leaders. Secondly, is what to do in authority. When I'm in authority, what do I do when I'm leading? And lastly, what do I do when I'm following? What does it look like to be a good follower? And all of them together, 
I hope, will give you a great picture of what it means to be the best type of leader you can be. So the first I want to start with this is the perspective of a great leader. The perspective is this, that when we lead people, we lead people in God's direction with God's priorities. The first thing that a great leader does, that the best types of leaders do, is they lead people first in God's direction. And Proverbs 15.33 says it this way. And lots of verses we've looked at over this study in Proverbs have emphasized this same principle. That the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. What he's saying is this. That for an, once an individual gains that position, gains that level of authority, there's a perspective they need to have. And it's this, that there is an authority above me. That there is someone in power above me. Like, I don't hold the reins of all my leadership. I can't just steer the ship wherever I want it to go. I have a responsibility to someone above me. And, and the wise people believe that God is in control of everything. That God is actually the ultimate leader, the ultimate authority. And I have fear, meaning I have reverence, I have respect, I have honor before the king of the universe. And so the, every organization that you lead or you're a part of, you are a steward, not an owner. Because God ultimately owns every authority structure. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Because if leaders will actually humble themselves below a higher power, the God of the universe, Jesus Christ... That is a great starting point in which to lead because it'll shape your priorities. It'll shape your preferences. It'll shape your business practices. And it can shape your entire company if you will actually submit yourself first and foremost to Jesus Christ. But secondly, not only do we set it in first God's direction, secondly, we lead with God's priorities. Proverbs 14.28 says it this way. In a multitude of people... Is the glory of a king, but without a people, a prince is ruined. Isn't that interesting? If there's a multitude of people, there's a glory, there's honor, there's there's respect there. But if there's no people, uh, there's there's something missing. There's something lost. Um, John Maxwell is a great uh, leadership writer, leadership guru. He wrote writes this in his book Five Levels of Leadership. If you think you're leading, but no one's following then you're not leading, you're taking a walk. (laughs) I love that quote. (laughs) If you think you're leading, no one's following, you're just on a walk. Because here's the truth. Uh, Leadership requires a value of people. One of the most significant resources you are given as a leader is the people that you are over. They are so important. Andrew Carnegie, a billionaire um, in the early part of the uh, country's history in the late 1800s. And, and he, at one point in, in his leadership, he had hired 43 millionaires. There were 43 millionaires working for Andrew Carnegie. And a reporter asked him at one point in time, how is it that you have 43 millionaires working for you? In the, in the late 1800s, there weren't a ton of millionaires walking around the United States. It was very impressive. And so a reporter asked him, how do you... How'd you hire this many people? And he says this. He replied that men are developed the same way gold is mined. When gold is mined, several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. But one doesn't go into the mine looking for dirt. One goes in looking for gold. He goes on to say, they weren't millionaires when they started with me. But they grew to be these type of people. And he knew 
That the most important thing that he could do to these men is to help them grow, help them nourish. Don't, don't go looking for the dirt, but go looking for the gold and help people develop. As a leader, when you see your people, do you go looking for gold or do you go looking for dirt? Do you see the qualities of these men and women that have decided to be as part of your organization? Do you, do you hone and focus in on the best and lift out the best? Or do you go looking for the worst? See, God values people. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. And it wasn't like, I don't turnips and, uh, you know, rocks. He loved people. So we start with God's priorities, which is this. God's perspective, which is God's direction under his authority. And God's priorities, do we value the people that we're leading? And then you actually have a moment when you're leading. The reins have been put into your hands. But there's a question I would want you to ask yourself when you are in a position of leadership, a position of authority, and it's this question, this kind of heart-wrenching for some of us question. Am I a leader worth following? If the reins have been given to me, if I have a level of leadership, am I asking myself this question? Am I a leader worth following? Meaning, Am I doing these three things? The responsibility of a leader is these three pieces. To set direction, to set the culture, and to protect the people. When God has given you an opportunity to lead in any organization, these are the three priorities that we are supposed to set. We're supposed to set direction, culture, and protection for the people that we're leading. The first is this, that we help set the direction. Proverbs 11.14 says this, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there's victory. See, when you've been given a position of leadership, you have a responsibility to lead the people in, a, in the right direction. It's your responsibility to help shape and set that. And, and so people need guidance. People need to know this is where we're going and this is where our energies should go together. See, leaders, leaders need to set the direction for the organization. It's crucial for that. But there's a second part to that. He says, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. So what's that saying? It's saying when you're setting the direction for your organization, you don't go solo. You go in with a community. It's one of the things I love about working at Grace Bible Church. We have a, a group of elders that help set the overall direction of our church. We also have ministers at varying levels in our organization, men and women that, that help set together the direction of each ministry. I don't set the direction of college ministry on my own in a cave. I gather wise men and women around me to help set the direction together. There's something beautiful about that. As a leader, you're meant to build a community that moves together. And there's something beautiful about that to set the direction as a community. In an abundance of counselors, there's safety. You'll make better decisions as you bring in the right people. And every organization knows this. Disney knows this. So years ago, in the 1990s, Disney was uh, winning every movie box office thing. So they made amazing films like, uh, back in the day, Lion King or Aladdin and stuff like that in the 90s that I grew up watching. Um, safe place. Um, I used to watch those. And, uh, and they were great and they're amazing. But there was a turn that took place in the late 90s. There was a new, uh, new movie film company that rose up. 
called Pixar. There's a, there's a, there's a solidarity with Pixar and Aggies, right? A right, little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And so they, they started making new films like, like Toy Story, uh, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc. And they started making these other films and they started beating Disney. Like Disney starts losing the battle at the box office. So Disney's going, what do we do? Like um, animation went in a new direction. What do we do? And so what did Disney do? They bought Pixar. <laughs> it's amazing when you have unlimited funds, right? Like it's, it's nice to be like, oh, we're going to go buy them. And, and, and as you read the story of this process, what Disney says is that what Pixar brought in was new creativity, new ideas. They helped us to make better decisions as filmmakers because we brought in these new people that brought in new wisdom and new direction. It's actually crucially important. And a few years ago, they bought another uh, group called Marvel. You know, they're just like acquiring everything. I mean, I, I'm going to be sold to them here in a little bit. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, and the, the CEO of Disney said this. Um, purchasing Marvel allows us to do what Disney does best, which is make toys, promote things, make theme parks. Because Disney realized we don't have a monopoly on character development or storylines. What we do is we bring in wise people to help us make better decisions companies know this and the same is true with you and your leadership if you want to make better decisions surround yourself with better people that can help you make better decisions surround yourself with quality voices to speak into it so the first thing that great leaders do is they set the direction secondly they set the culture they protect the culture proverbs 2 9 10 says this When you seek wisdom, Proverbs chapter 2 is all about seeking wisdom. And when you do that, when you seek wisdom, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. He says this, that when when you are in that position of leadership, there's three things that people want from you. And every leader that you have disliked, it's probably in relation to these three things. Justice, righteousness, and equity. Righteousness means this, to to do the right thing. The right thing for the organization, the right thing for the people, to do what's right. Justice means this, it's more of a legal term. It's it's more determining um, who needs to be stopped and who needs to be affirmed. It's, It's doing the right thing by people, it's protecting people. And equity means this, we don't play favorites. And every leadership um person that you've been under that has made poor decisions, it's probably been in relation to one of these three things. Um... Either there's nepotism where the wrong people are promoted or there's injustice where they're not treating people fairly or they're not, they're not righteous, they're not doing the right things in the organization. There's a culture that's toxic and everyone feels it. As a leader, it's your responsibility to set the culture of your organization so that people feel cared for, protected, and valued. As a leader, you set the culture of your organization. And every organization you're frustrated with is because there's been a leadership failure in one of these areas. But here's what's fascinating. It says if you seek wisdom, if you seek God's wisdom, not just general wisdom, but wisdom through Jesus Christ, what's going to happen is it's going to fill your heart. And it's going to give you the right desires that come into you so that you can lead from a place that is in God's direction with God's priorities. But 
But you have to seek the Lord's wisdom to know when it's going to be time to make the right decision to be just and move with equity. And the third piece is this, that we protect people. I have a, the honor of, um, of working with several fraternity leaders. Um, and we meet on Friday mornings and I cook them breakfast and we, we talk about leadership. And um, inevitably, the biggest frustration they always bring and the biggest challenge they bring is this, when to move in to, to stop certain actions and stop certain people from making certain actions. When they come in with the hammer, it's the hardest thing that leaders do. But it's crucial. As a leader, people, your people are looking for you to make the right decisions and to protect them and protect the organization. Proverbs 29.12 says it this way. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all of his officials will be wicked. Proverbs 25.5, take away the wicked from the presence of the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. As a leader, it's your responsibility and your people are wanting this from you is to judge rightly and to correct when things go wrong. It's one of the hardest things you'll do, but it's one of the most necessary things that you'll do as a leader. When I was in college, I ran track and uh, in my, my coach came in um, really to a dysfunctional organization, a dysfunctional team. Uh, it was so bad, uh, the year before, right before the conference championship meet in cross country, the whole team had gone out drinking and they were drunk, they'd gotten kicked out of bars, all before the conference meet. And I didn't realize this when I'd signed on for this organization, uh, but I learned it pretty quick, like this was the culture that was there, and so that, that coach after that first semester was let go, and they brought in a new coach, and he met with each one of us. It's like, here, what we wanted to accomplish, what was our goals uh, in being part of, of this organization. And, and so he, he shared, we shared those goals. And he said, okay, in order to actually do those things, things have to change here. There's going to be some changes. And I was like, well, like what? He's like, just be ready. So one of the changes he made is that he made us all come in uh, designated uniform. We had uniforms, but he says, okay, wear your practice clothes. We will wash your practice clothes. Come prepared. And you're going to come early. And you're going to stay late to get treatment if you need it. And there were several guys that, um, that wouldn't go to sleep on time, wouldn't be early when they needed to be there, and, and were in some ways a little bit toxic to the group. And, and so he pulled those guys aside individually. He's like, hey, this is the direction we're going. This is what we want to happen. You can't do that and continue to be part of this team. It will, your performance will suffer, but you're going to pull some other guys down. You can't do that. And they're like, okay, whatever. They kind of go along. And at a point, he said, look, I'm not going to tell you you cannot do that, but you cannot do that and be part of this team. You're going to have to leave. And several of those guys slowly whittled their way off. And there's only about five of us that stuck through this process over the next two or three years. And of all five of us, four of us became All-Americans in track and field. He changed the culture. The next generation of guys after us were phenomenal. One of the guys was an Olympian. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. But he had to come in and change the culture and shape us differently. And I'll tell you what, your people are looking for you to set the direction, to set the culture, and to protect the people. And I say those things, and immediately some of you go, yes, 
I've been wanting to talk to that guy and tell him he's an idiot. Like, I'm ready to lead. Like, where's my reins? Like, give me this reins. Like, let me beat these horses in a direction, and we're going to go attack something. You know, like, you're excited about that part of leadership. You're just like, Kevin, you've just given me free reign to beat people in love, and it's going to be awesome. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Like, let send me in a direction. And now I'll tell you like this. Before God is going to give you the reins to lead, he's going to do something else in your life because you need it and I need it. Before he ever helps you to be a leader worth following, he's going to ask you a second piece. Are you a follower worth leading? Not only are you a leader worth following, secondly, are you a follower worth leading? Because what God is going to do in your life is he's going to shape into your character the qualities he needs as a follower before he gives you the moment of authority. He always does this. One of my favorite biblical characters is David. And David was a young man who wasn't even thought highly of by his family. And there's a moment when Samuel, who's the, who's the, the, the last judge, comes in to anoint a new King, And so he comes to Jesse's house and says, hey, bring your boys in front of me and I'm going to figure out, God's going to tell us which one is going to be the next king. And so, so Jesse parades all of his sons in front of, in front of Samuel and God just says, don't look at the height of his stature, I'm looking at the heart, none of these guys have the heart. And so all of them are passed over and then Samuel goes, okay, do you have any more boys? I mean, there's a lot of boys, but do you have any other ones? Because God has passed them all up. And he goes, yeah, there remains Je- uh, David, but he's, he's the youngest, he's, he's with the sheep. That was a slam on David. He, man, he's, he's not worth your time, Samuel. And Samuel goes, bring him in. And he brings in David, and he said, God says, this is the man. He anoints David with oil. And you know what happens next in David's life? He's anointed to be the next king. You think in palace, authority, like a new, new clothes? No. He goes back out with the sheep. And the, next, the current king, who was found to be illegitimate, has some head issues, some major mind issues. They ask for someone to come play him the harp to soothe his insanity. And they're like, go get David. And so for the next several years, David's responsibility is to serve the illegitimate king and play him little ditties. And you think about it, you're like, I'm ready to lead. I'm ready to run this ship. He just told me I'm awesome. Yeah, that's all great. Here's how you're going to learn to be a leader. Go serve. And God in his grace will let you serve before he'll ever let you lead. And so the question we got to answer in the rest of our time together is this. Am I actually a follower worth leading? There's four qualities I want to give you. Four qualities from Proverbs to be a great follower. The first is this, that you be consistent. Secondly, that you're careful. Thirdly, that you're patient. Fourthly, that you're realistic. The first is this, that you be consistent. That you do consistently what other people do occasionally. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says this, Do you see a man who is skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Do you see someone who is skillful in their work? So my question is this, how are you doing in your work? How are you doing at school? Are you skillful at it? How are you doing at your job? Are you skillful at it? Are you doing the best you can with that opportunity that's been given to you? Are you skillful? Do you apply yourself well? He says, if you're skillful in the small things, there will be a moment when you stand before kings. And we've seen this in our culture. We've seen this in our history. So years ago, 
He passed away just a few years ago. There was a man who was an amazing Christian man who was a preacher. But he advised four U.S. presidents. His name was Billy Graham. And all these U.S. presidents wanted to bring in this preacher because they saw the character, the consistency, and the quality of Billy Graham. They said, I want some of that shine to rub off on me because there's things I can learn from Billy Graham. There's also a man long before that named William Wilberforce. He was a politician. And he was in the part of British, the British Parliament. And he later came to faith in life. He came to believe that Jesus died in his place for his sins. And so everything began changing. And one major shift in his own life is that he felt that his responsibility to help end slavery. And he spent the rest of his life doing everything he could to bring the abolition of slavery in England. And three days before he died... Parliament signed an edict ending slavery, (laughs) and he died three days later. He spent the rest of his life because God is about freeing the enslaved, and he spent his life doing it. Used his political power to do that. It's beautiful. And in a much lesser degree, Lauren Daigle, singer-songwriter, familiar? So my wife and I watch uh, America's Got Talent. Is this a safe place? Okay, we watch America's Got Talent. And uh, we're admitting it. And, uh, and we're watching it, and then there's these montage moments where they show highlights from, from the moments of the show, and they're playing one of Lauren Daigle's songs. She's a Christian artist singing about the Lord. It's very, very clear in her lyrics. And, and we're watching this, and I'm like, I'm like, why, of all the songs they could pick, why are they picking Lauren Daigle's songs? Like, what's going on here? And I guarantee you there are thousands of people that are researching this song and listening to these lyrics. Why? Because it's good. <laughs> it's just good. It's good music. It's well written. It's well sung. And, and they're saying, okay, I'm not sure if I believe in that God, but I will listen to that song and maybe go on a little journey. Are you excellent in your work at school? Your fellow non-believers around you are looking at you, engineers, to see if what you believe is being played out in your engineering world. Biology majors, your fellow students that are atheists, that do not love the Lord, are asking, does this Christian thing actually work in the medical profession, in biology, in the scientific world? Wherever you are, people are looking at you saying, does this Christianity thing actually make a difference in the life of an individual? Do you do consistently what other people do occasionally? Do you let your character lead? So first, you're consistent. But secondly, you're careful. I love this passage. It says, When you sit down and eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat. That's, that's out of left field, isn't it? <laughs> if you desire, uh, if, you're, if you are given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. What is he saying? He's saying, when you stand before someone with authority, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to go in working an angle trying to get something. I want you to go in looking to serve and looking to be under a higher authority. So you don't walk into that boss and just be trying to milk the system. You go in representing me in front of that authority, in front of that ruler. And because what will happen is this. If you don't represent the Lord in that moment, you will look to compromise. And where this is going to play out in your life very, very soon is in the lives of juniors and seniors. Very, very soon, if it hasn't played out already. Because juniors and seniors, 
Your parents want you to have a job. They're like, I'm so glad you're having a great time in college. When are you off my payroll? Like, that's the question that's going on in your parents' mind, right? And there's a temptation when you don't have a job to want to get a job to sell yourself. Because you're going to go, okay, I'm going to go into this interview, and they're going to ask me, what skills do you have? And I'm going to say, all of them, what skills do you need? Uh, I know, like, PowerPoint and Microsoft Word. Like, I know all the, all the things. I know all this. Like, have you, do you have any experience in this? I have all the experience that you uh, would, would need um, in that spot. And I can, I'm a quick learner. I'm a really quick learner. And, and, and what you'll do is you'll try to sell yourself and you'll lie and you'll compromise so that you can work it. And, and it may even work for you. And all of a sudden you'll get the job that you don't even want. But you'll sell yourself and you'll compromise your morals. And one of the things that you have to learn in following is actually to be honest and be careful you're not trying to work from them. You're trying to honor the Lord in this moment. So several years ago, my, my wife uh, came here for veterinary school, and, and we were here for, for three years, and then she did a veterinary internship in South Florida. And when we moved there, I was, we were probably only going to be there for one year, and, and I was like, okay, um, I just want to get like a general job because we're only going to be here a year, and we're going to move somewhere else. And so I was just applying at like Starbucks and Barnes and & Noble's, and people read books back then, and so like Barnes and & Noble's was a good gig. And, uh, and so that's what I was trying to do, and, and no one was calling. For three months, I couldn't get a job at Starbucks, and I was like... I have a college degree and work experience, and Starbucks will not, is not hiring. I'm like, and there came a moment when a new job opportunity was presented to, to Hillary. And so there was a, a doctor that said, hey, this church would need a youth director and children's director. Maybe you should apply for that job. And that had been my background experience. And so I applied to that job, and, and then I asked some friends of mine, like, hey, how should I go into this job opportunity? Like, should I tell them that I'm only going to be here a year? That might kill my job prospects. And they're like, uh, well, you don't know how long you're going to be there. So, like, just, you could be there longer. I don't know. But I felt convicted. I needed to be honest about the fact that I didn't know if I could be here any longer. I may only be here a year. And so I went to the, f- I applied, and they called me in for an interview. And so I go in, and the first interview, I sit down with them. I said, hey, I just want to let you know on the front end that my, we're here because my wife's veterinary internship we may only be here a year. I understand that if that's not um, what you guys are looking for, and if you want the interview to end now, I completely understand. And the person, the woman across the table said, no, let's keep going. We did the interview. I get a, a week later, I get a call back. And she said, I, I want you to come and interview with some other folks, some parents um, of the ministry. I said, okay. So I came in the next week, and I sat down, and... and Keep in mind, I had not worked for three months. I had been spending my time at Starbucks praying, God, let me go somewhere else or work here, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. Like, should I tell them that I, I'm, I'm like, I don't, this is the second round? I don't know. And, but I just felt convicted. I need to just let them know where I'm at. So I walked in. I said, hey, just want to let you know before we start that um, I may only be here a year. We could be here longer. I just don't know. But we're here for my wife's veterinary internship. Just want to let you know on the front end. And the parents of that youth ministry said, they told us, let's keep going. I got the job. 
For a year, I did youth and children's ministry at this church that needed help, and I was able to pour into another guy um, right below me and, and help him to, to be ushered into that position to take it when I needed to leave. And I left open-handed with no hurt feelings because I walked in honestly with this church. Let me tell you what. There's something beautiful about walking in honestly and carefully with people. It's beautiful. Thirdly, that you be patient. Proverbs 25, 6 says this, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the palace of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower of a noble. He says, you be patient for promotion. You serve well in the spot that you've been given. And thirdly, that you be realistic. No authority, no leader that you are under is calling the shots. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. No professor is running your story. No boss is running your story. No person is leading it. Everyone is ultimately guided by the hand of the Lord. He is in control of everything. And he loves you. So you can entrust yourself to him in every circumstance you're entering into. One of the most significant moments I've seen in Scripture is in the life of Jesus. There's a moment at the end of his life where he's standing before Pilate, and Pilate says, are you, are you indeed the Messiah? Are you a king? And he says, you, you've said it. And then he's, as he's interacting, he's like, Pilate's like, okay, what, like, tell me, like, I have the authority to kill you, so are you guilty of these things that they're charging you of? And he says this to Pilate. You only have the authority given to you by God. He stands before the man who held his, the power of his life and said, you know what? You're ultimately not in control. God is. God's in control of my life. He's in control of this circumstances. I'm entrusting myself to him. And so what does it mean? What does it look like to be the quality leader that God is desiring us to be, the quality follower that he's desiring us to be? Let me give you one closing example and story. Uh, if you were to go to the Chick-fil-A offices in uh, Atlanta, when you walk in, there's a statue. And true, Kathy is a, is a Christian. There's a statue there, and it's of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he says, I, I actually have established this organization to, to follow the teachings of Christ. In fact, the purpose statement of Chick-fil-A is this, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on all who come into contact with Chick-fil-A. In the company culture, their statement is this. You don't have to be a Christian to work at Chick-fil-A, but we ask that you base your business on biblical principles because they work. He says, I want this first and foremost to be people that put their lives under Christ, under God, and it is a difference maker. So I'll ask you three application questions in closing. The first is this. Am I leading in God's direction with God's priorities? Am I actually leading people the way God would want them to lead, me to lead them? And secondly, am I serving as a leader worth following? Am I actually serving the people uh, in a way that's modeling and spotlighting Christ? And thirdly, am I serving as a follower worth leading? Am I actually a follower that leaders would say, I want them to work on my team because I know the quality of that individual? 
When Jesus is working his way to the cross, there's a moment when he tells the disciples, hey, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to die. And there's a moment when James and John's mom, James and John, two of the disciples, their mom comes along and says, hey, Jesus, um, hey, when you're like ruling in glory, can my son sit on your right and left hand? And it just feels like a very like off-the-wall request. Like, when you're leading, can they serve with you? And he looks over at the, these two disciples and says, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? Meaning, can you walk the challenging path of the cross and the pain and the challenge of, it, of life following the Lord? Can you do that? And they're like, yeah, 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 we got it, we got it, we got it. And then the rest of the disciples get upset because they didn't ask first. And he turns over to them. He says, hey, I want to I give you a picture. He says, the rulers of this world see leadership, authority, as something to lord over people, to be served. He says, not so with you. But if whoever would be great among you will become your servant. And whoever would be first must become last because the Son of Man didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Our ultimate leader is the man Jesus Christ who lived the life we could not live, who died the death we deserved to die, who served us. And from that model, we become people, men and women, who serve. And then you're a leader worth following. And you're a follower worth leading. As you submit your life and heart to Jesus Christ, he changes you to be the man and woman you need to be. And pray for us. Lord, thank you so much that you've given us your word and you've given us levels of authority to lead with. And Lord, none of us in this room are perfect. We've all um, been under imperfect leaders, but also been imperfect leaders ourselves. So Lord, I pray that as we opened up your word this morning, that you would open up our hearts to, to your spirit first and foremost, and that you would change us from the inside out and help us to be men and women that lead well in this world because the world needs it. And Lord, by your grace, we could be those men and women that meet those needs. It's in your name we pray. Amen.